Hey guys, it is Wednesday, January 9th, 2019, and this is a salvage title car buyer's guide episode. It's been a really long time since we've done one of these, and as promised, it is one of the episodes where I'm going to talk about first car choices for uh, young drivers, kids heading off to college, you know, parents looking to buy a vehicle for them, or maybe you're buying it for yourself. Uh, three models that I think are genuinely worth your time, worth the effort to try to track down to find a good model. Uh, and then a fourth model that I think uh, has a very specific role to fill, is an interesting choice uh, that's also worth looking for, might not be the same. Now what makes this episode a little bit different from a lot of the other car buyers guides that I've done in the past is that, well, it's not a specific class of vehicle. So what I've kind of done for myself is set up a little bit of a walled garden of sorts uh, you could definitely pass through it at any time, which I definitely do on occasion here, but uh, generally the idea is I wanted to pick cars that are relatively modern, that is they were uh, made in the 21st century, uh, cars that are going to be generally considered safe, uh, looking for things that are generally reliable, and the main thing is keeping the price at or around $6,000. It might go a little bit higher, it might go a little bit lower, but figuring a budget of about six grand. Now, why $6,000? Well, it's hard to price out where car things are at now for young drivers. Uh, my youngest brother's first car, he just got his license a few short years ago, was a $4,000 car. Uh, my younger brother beyond that, his first car uh, was a three-ish thousand dollar car. My first car was a $1,200 car. Times change quite a bit, and you know, just looking strictly at conversions and all that stuff, uh, a $1,200 car back then is probably uh, roughly maybe a $2,000, $2,500 car. So you know, your your mileage is literally going to vary based on how much money you have, how much wheeling and dealing you're doing, how much time you have to get a vehicle, things like that. So I figured I would pick just some general models that I think are worth looking into. Now, I will admit that I'm placing a little bit of a bend on what we're talking about here based on some of my personal tastes and always in all of these episodes, take my recommendations with a little bit of grain of salt. Uh, as much as I would normally look at things that are uh, a little more tech forward, uh, built really well, engineered in an interesting way, or being fun to drive, uh, that's not always a choice that you get to make when you're trying to buy your first car. Uh, so I did try to keep those things in mind. These are the, the four vehicles that I mentioned are four cars that most specifically I would be more than okay driving on a day-to-day -day basis, even today at over 30 years old. Uh, there are four cars that I think you're going to be able to find in fairly decent condition in most places in the United States. So, yeah, that's that. Uh, one thing that we might have to go over maybe later towards the end of the episode is the idea of the four horsemen. Uh, the four horsemen concept is, of course, just like the biblical tale. Uh, these are the four cars that are going to outlive any bad situation that encounters them. Uh, they're going to be relatively apocalypse-proof. Uh, while many of the cars that I'm picking for this specific list are not that, uh, these other cars generally are considered to be that way. So if you uh, know somebody who likes to wrench on their own vehicles, has the time, has the patience to maintain an older car that will literally run forever as long as you take care of it, 
those might be a good choice for you, but I'm trying to pick a car uh, for somebody who's, you know, living in the suburbs, living day to day, maybe they've got a part-time job, something that they're going to be able to depend on, something maybe where they get a little bit of inclement weather, they're going to be able to get through the snow and not have to worry too much about it. So uh, with all that in mind, after a quick little bump, we will talk about the uh, the first car on the list. Now the uh, the first car we're going to kind of talk about here, it is a mid-size family sedan. Uh, it is based on a platform that in general, I think if you were to choose any of the vehicles based on it, I don't think you were going to have a horrible experience. But there's one model in particular that I think stands out to me out of the four vehicles that are based on it. And that is the 2009 to 2011 Mercury Milan. So this is the second generation version of the Mercury Milan, which was made for a very short amount of time. Uh, it being a mid-size sedan, you know, you're going to get that large vehicle safety. Uh, if I remember correctly, these did come with uh, standard front airbags. I think they were some of the first sedans to have standard side airbags. Uh, and they pack in a lot of current technology uh, that should make most people fairly happy. Now, granted, some of those models had sync two capability with the full touchscreen integration and all that kind of stuff and while I don't necessarily recommend that for every single person uh, the baseline sync system works really well with cell phones that are even brand new out today uh, they handle hands-free calling if you're in a state where you're not allowed to drive talking on the cell phone uh, they do most of the things that a normal car today would do now it being a mid-size sedan fuel economy is not great but it's not horrible either at 23 miles per gallon in the city and 34 miles per gallon on the highway, you're going to get some pretty okay fuel numbers, assuming that your kid's driving it pretty normally. Uh, if you opt for the hybrid version, uh, that gets about 41 miles per gallon in the city and 36 miles per gallon on the highway. So if they do a lot of uh, out-of-town cruising, if you live out in the suburbs and they've got a long distance to drive at highway speeds, uh, that gas mileage kind of gets eroded away. But if you've got short stop-and-go drives, you know, it's not a bad way to go. The good news is about choosing the hybrid option at the very least is they are generally considered to be more reliable than the gasoline counterparts uh, and that's because Ford had been banking so much money on this system uh, they overbuilt them uh, to handle a lot of uh, dr daily driving things like that so that's why you see these Ford Fusion hybrids same car just a different badge on the front uh, used as taxi cabs especially in like New York City and other places across the country uh, but what I'd really be focusing in on here is the, just the plain Jane two and a half liter five-speed automatic family sedan uh, what are the big differences between the Fusion and the Milan and really the Lincoln and the Mazda 6? I think it was the MKZ at the time for the Lincoln. Uh, none. Really, honestly, none. Uh, small bits of trim change between each of them. Uh, one of the other major changes is the suspension tuning. Uh, gets a little bit firmer on the Mazda and Ford end and gets a little bit softer as you go up into the Mercury and Lincoln end of things. Uh, overall build quality is roughly about the same. You might get a little bit more effort put into the vehicle by Lincoln, but it's not going to be by much. I think me personally, the Mercury was the better looking of the updated models for the most part. Uh, I think it has the least amount of compromises overall in its performance where it's still going to be relatively fun to drive, but it's also going to be comfortable. It's going to be quiet. Uh, you're going to be able to 
you know, if you have to borrow your kid's car, you're not going to hate yourself for having to have it for the day. And, you know, most kids who have this thing, they might not like the fact that there's a Mercury waterfall grill on the front. It's not going to exactly impress their friends, but that's also kind of the point. The more boring of a car you have for a kid, uh, the less likely they are to, well, hopefully race around the parking lot. Me, having been a teenager, I 100% admit that even the kids who had uh, V6 Dodge Caravans, they did burnouts in the parking lot. It's going to happen to anybody uh, <laughs> at any given time. Um, but really, you know, it's going to be the thing that, you know, these cars were built pretty well. Uh, if, if, if it was maintained at all, it's going to run quite well. Uh, they're relatively cheap to insure. Uh, parts are going to be relatively cheap because so many different versions of this car was manufactured over the time frame uh, of it being around. Uh, really, in general, I think for around six to seven grand, you're going to find some pretty nice Mercury's out there, especially like single owner, elderly people. Uh, think of like the Buick Regals that's currently uh, kind of the uh, the meme choice there for old people cars. I think this uh, Mercury Milan is going to kind of be the second phase of that going forward. Um, I think one thing that kind of hangs over its head, at least for me, is whether or not the second generation model is that much better than the first generation model. And I think a lot of that really kind of depends on where you're at with technology. Uh, that first generation model is going to be a really tight, uh, what I would consider an older school type vehicle, uh, where in that it's going to lack a lot of the features that newer models had. So no Ford Sync. Uh, it's going to have a regular CD player, a lot of physical buttons, that kind of stuff. The newer model will have more modern, quote-unquote, normal things going on on the inside. Uh, but mechanically speaking, they're going to be pretty much identical. It's a chassis developed by uh, Mazda. The engines were developed and built by Mazda. I think the only difference is the original ones had a 2.4 liter engines and the later ones had a 2.5 liter engine, but transmissions, if I remember correctly, were the same. I mean, they're almost exactly the same car, just they grew slightly uh, and had a different, more special body placed upon them. So yeah, Mercury Milan. If you can find one in good shape, I think it is 100% worth a look and is definitely a third place car on this show. So coming up at number two is at least the only crossover that I'm going to mention super directly in this list. Uh, and it is an older crossover to uh, be a little more open about things. Uh, this is a 2005 to 2007 model. Uh, it is a hybrid uh, which might make it a little more expensive to acquire uh, on most initial deals. And that is the Toyota Highlander Hybrid. Uh, now, I'm not a huge longtime fan of the Highlander, uh, really in general. I think Toyota has always offered a crossover of sorts, whether it be the RAV4 or the Venza or, uh, you know, something else in the lineup. I've always thought that there's always been that alternative uh, to kind of go elsewhere and say, you know, this is the one for me. Uh, but the Toyota, the Toyota Highlander Hybrid, and this one in particular, the uh, 05 to 07 model, is the first generation model, um, which I still, to me, to this day, I think is the best of the Highlanders that have, has come out so far. What I like about this car is that it's very modestly sized, at least compared to today's standards. Uh, you're not going to be burdened with this overly large vehicle that's going to be difficult to park. 
it's not going to be difficult to handle in you know an emergency situation uh it's going to drive a lot like a car and i think that's a big advantage for a first time driver uh that does have pretty decent visibility uh out the front side and rear of the vehicle um you know it's not going to be quite as open as some of these smaller cars but it's going to do pretty good uh and you know it's going to be safe you know it's it it got very high safety ratings at the time as many toyota vehicles did um it might not be quite as air quote safe as what newer models are because you know time marches on technology changes so on and so forth uh but you're gonna be pretty well protected in the event of an accident and you know accidents do happen particularly with young drivers now the other big selling point of course is that because it is a hybrid you're going to get much better fuel economy uh compared to other models out there uh this one in particular gets 28 miles per gallon on the or excuse me 28 miles per gallon in the city 25 miles per gallon on the highway now those aren't exactly numbers that are going to set the world on fire uh by any stretch of the imagination but they are pretty decent considering the vehicle's age and the other good thing is that because it's a hybrid uh toyota much like ford and many other brands at the time overbuilt these vehicles to a point where mechanically they're not really going to fail the only major issue that you're going to have with this vehicle if it has not been properly taken care of is going to be battery degradation uh where the electric range what short amount of electric range it does have uh from a stop might not be quite as good uh you might get some warnings up on the dashboard saying that the battery needs to be checked out uh the good news is that third parties have popped up in the time frame where these Toyota, Ford, and other hybrids have become very popular. So you can get these batteries repaired for a relatively small cost. Uh, you can get these batteries replaced for a comparatively small cost. Uh, but the general consensus is on these Ford, or excuse me, Toyota hybrid systems is that battery failures are rare. And in the end, it's not often that you have to do a total teardown of these things. Um, you very likely might end up with something that, as long as it's been taken care of, you're not going to have too much of a problem with it. Uh, it does have a 3-liter standard V6 uh, that gets you out of trouble, most of these things. Now, the one thing is, I don't remember if these had all-wheel drive back then. The new ones do. Um, so if you're in an inclement weather situation, you know, a set of snow tires does uh, a world of difference in many situations, but it does have all-wheel drive uh, that will help you a little bit in some situations uh, overall. And I think really the other big thing to kind of consider in this thing is that because it is larger, uh, you know, you're going to be able to fit stuff into it. Uh, if your teen is anything like what I was in high school, uh, I played sports. I had friends that played sports. We rode together to practice. We rode together to events. Uh, having that space for your gear uh, really goes a long way. And the good news is about the Highlander is that behind the second row seats, there's a ton of space to throw, you know, hockey and baseball gear in. Uh, you know, you could fold down the seats and put fit a bike in there very easily. Uh, it's got a roof rack. I mean, you could find a bazillion roof racks for these things uh, that'll fit even more gear in it. Uh, it's just a very practical vehicle uh, if you've got a teen who's active in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, they move off to college, they're going to be able to fit most of their shit in there. So you don't have to go riding with them to wherever the hell they're going. Uh, so let your teenager go, as it were. Um, but really, you know, the main thing is, if you're concerned at all about that hybrid system, just keep in mind that these Highlander hybrids are still being used by taxi services, much like the Ford Fusion Hybrid, uh, all over the country. If they weren't 
using them, that would be a good sign that they weren't good to stick with. And it looks like they are good ones to stick with. So if you've got a chance, take a look. Uh, I think the only holdback I'm going to have on this model is that they are getting extremely difficult to find with normal, in air quotes, mileage left on them. A lot of them are going to be over 200,000 miles. Uh, for whatever reason, just like the uh, Honda CRV, uh, the Toyota Highlander is a model that people who uh, go RVing very often bought these vehicles and towed them behind their truck. Uh, so you're going to see models with lots and lots and lots of mileage on them. So do be conscious of that. Um, but, you know, in the end, remember, they are going to be very reliable. You're not going to have a lot of problems with it. And I think it is a pretty decent second choice uh, if that's something you're interested in, in uh, looking into. So sitting in at number one is a little bit of an unconventional choice. If you've listened to some of my other episodes where I talk about uh, cars that come out of this company, and uh, the reason why it's sitting on the top of this list is because as someone in my 30s who liked the car at the time when it was brand new and has really come to appreciate what the car represents now as an adult, uh, it's also interesting because at the time... We didn't know it yet, but it arguably is the first modern car, and that is a car that was sold at that point in time that has direct lineage to where we're at today. And it just makes it just a good, solid choice. Uh, what I'm talking about is the 2006 to 2011 Volkswagen Rabbit, otherwise known as the Golf, after the fact, after the first couple model years. Uh, it was a car, the MK5 model was a car that turned the compact segment up on its head. Uh, where the Ford Focus had done that just a few short years previous, uh, cars like the Mazda 3 and Volvo S40 had kind of done it around the same time as this Volkswagen. Uh, really, this Volkswagen set the standard for years to come when it came to uh, practicality, design, engineering, drivability, perhaps a little bit lacking on the reliability stand front, but overall, uh, it, it, it's a great, great car. Uh, so what, what's the good things to look for? Well, you know, it's a decent-sized car. It's going to be pretty safe given its relatively compact dimensions. It's got all the airbags that you want. Uh, the Germans designed it to get crumpled and to be safe on their roads. There's no reason why it wouldn't be here in the United States. Uh, you have the more stylish three-door option or the more practical five-door option. Uh, me, as an adult today, I think anything other than the five-door might be a little bit silly. But as a teenager, man, that three-door looks good. Uh, so that might be something worth looking into. Um, the two and a half liter models were the base trim ones. Uh, it was a two and a half liter inline five that didn't really make a lot of power, didn't really satisfy the torque demand that Volkswagen had been looking for, and it definitely didn't hit the mark on the fuel economy standpoint once gas prices got expensive in the late aughts and into the early 20 teens. Today, it's good enough. It's in the uh, upper 20s and low 30 mile per gallon range. Uh, for a car of a similar size today, you'd be shot out of a building and thrown into the street for saying something like that. Uh, anything less than 40 miles per gallon is ridiculous these days. Uh, so this Golf is a little bit worse, but it is an older car. You're going to have worse mileage anyway. And really what it comes down to with the Golf is that getting that more practical design 
getting that practical philosophy of engineering where, you know, it's quiet, it's comfortable, but it's still engaging to drive, I think is great. And the other good thing is they sell a lot of these things with manual transmission. So if you have a teen uh, where you want to teach them how to drive stick, I think this two and a half liter inline five is a fantastic way to teach people how to drive stick because it does have a pretty good torque curve. Uh, it's got a little bit of a vague uh, clutch pedal, which is going to take some getting used to. But, you know, if they can drive this model effectively, more than likely they're going to be able to drive any car, any truck that has a stick going forward. Uh, what it comes down to is, I think for me, is pricing on these things. You know, well-kept models are going to be a little more expensive, more run-down basic models are going to be uh, pretty cheap. Uh, I think it's really going to be a matter of where you're comfortable with. I would say 110% avoid the GTI model. Uh, the headache of the 2.0-liter turbo and the DSG gearbox is not worth dealing with. Uh, it's, it's just, no. It, insurance alone is not going to be a good idea. Uh, the two and a half liter model is quick enough to get most kids in trouble, so don't deal with the GTI. Uh, just stick to a two and a half S. I think that's going to be good for most teens. It's got the CD player. It's got an auxiliary import. Uh, the, you know, you can swap out the head unit to something else if you really, really want to. Um, but really, I think, you know, if you've got a teen that likes driving, if you've got somebody who is into cars, I think this is a pretty good choice. Uh, like I said, there are two very distinct alternatives to this, and that is, of course, the first-generation Mazda 3 and the Volvo S40 and V4, V50. Uh, also, the C30 technically would be in that group. Uh, those cars, kind of the same philosophy. I think if you're not comfortable with Volkswagen, with their mm, build quality, their high parts cost, um, you know, you might have a little bit better luck with the Mazda, although I'm finding a well-kept Mazda 3 from this time frame is getting very difficult to find. Volvos, on the other hand, are much more easy to track down in good shape. They often have a little more mileage on them because the original owners tend to keep them a really long time, so that might be a good sign. Um, but the reliability on the Volvos gets kind of weird in some of the upper trim models, especially with the turbos. They don't hold up as well as what they should. They're okay, but they're not, you know, if they weren't maintained well, and this, you know, that goes for any car. If they weren't maintained well, they're not going to hold up. But if they were well taken care of and you do the maintenance as well, they're going to last forever. So anyway, back to the main car, the Volkswagen Golf slash Rabbit, uh, the MK5 cars, they're great. Uh, Sure, you can do a Jetta, but the Golf is always the better choice. So, Volkswagen Golf. So last up is the car for flavor. And that is the 2013 through present Ford Interceptor. Uh, now, the Ford Interceptor can be taken two different ways. There is the Taurus-based Ford Interceptor, and there is the Explorer-based Interceptor. Uh, either model is fine. Uh, but what gets me about these cars, uh, at least as a good first choice, is that, one, they are very large, very imposing vehicles, and they are going to be very safe because, one, uh, safety accounts for police officers, and there's no reason why it wouldn't count for your teenager. Uh, and two, because they are, they do look dangerous and imposing whatever else, they kind of, you tend to get a little more space when driving because of these vehicles. 
Uh, number two is going to be that many of these are equipped with all-wheel drive, especially here in the Midwest. Uh, it's rare to find one of these uh, police vehicles not equipped with all-wheel drive, and because of that, they become very affordable all-wheel drive vehicles, which is always a bonus if you live in an area with inclement weather. Uh, and then three, them being a police vehicle, they are overbuilt performance machines that are designed to take a lot of wear and tear uh, from their daily use by police officers uh, for the first couple years that they're there. They're going to be meticulously maintained because uh, state, uh, county, local jurisdictions, you know, they want to keep these things running for as long as they can. They get very regular oil changes. Uh, parts get changed immediately as soon as they show an issue. Uh, so when you get one, they're going to be uh, in pretty decent shape. Them being a police vehicle too, they're going to have better brakes, uh, better tires, they're going to have uh, seats that are going to hold up to a lot more wear and tear, they're going to be able to carry a lot of gear, a lot of stuff. Uh, it's really just a good choice for someone who's looking for a car that's going to be able to do just that little bit more than a regular vehicle. Uh, you know, the other thing is going to be that because there are so many of these vehicles being uh, purchased by police fleets all across the country, not just here in the U.S., but in Canada as well as in Mexico, uh, parts are relatively cheap. Now, the police spec ones might be a little bit more difficult to get your hands on in some situations, but generally speaking, they're easy to get and they're relatively affordable, uh, which is always a good thing. Uh, and then insurance prices should, in theory, be pretty cheap on these cars as well. Granted, I think if you were to get the more uh, upgraded turbocharged V6 models, a little bit higher fuel costs, a little bit higher repair costs, definitely a higher uh, insurance price because these cars are quick. They are designed to be highway pursuit vehicles, and as such, they're going to have some get up and go. But with the standard V6, the three and a half liter V6 and the all-wheel drive, it's more than enough for most teens. It's not going to get them in a ton of trouble. Um, and at the very least, they're going to look like a cop sitting at school. So that could be fun. I don't know if your kid's into that or not. Um, one, I guess, holdback, I guess, on these vehicles is that the carbon dioxide issue was a big problem uh, when they first rolled out. Uh, the cars didn't ventilate uh, emissions very well. Uh, those uh, things should be fixed by now by Ford Motor Company. Uh, them going to police fleets, uh, if they did not get fixed right away, uh, these would not have won out in the police vehicle of choice battles that are going on all across the country. Uh, so don't worry about that. And then really, I think the only other thing you're going to have to keep an eye out for is higher mileage. They're going to be high for the year that uh, they're in, uh, especially if they were a police uh, pursuit vehicle, uh, state police pursuit vehicle. You know, they're going to have a few more miles on them as they travel uh, on the highways. Uh, like I said, because of the maintenance, not really something to worry about. Uh, some people worry about these cars sitting at idle for long periods of time. Uh, yeah, you know, sometimes that can happen, but again... If maintenance was, was being done on these vehicles, as they would in most police fleets, you really won't have to worry about it. Um, but the other thing is going to be pricing. Pricing is all over the board on these cars and trucks. Uh, so depending on what model you're looking at, what year is out there, uh, how much wear and tear you're willing to deal with, uh, whether it was a pursuit vehicle, a general service vehicle, uh, a, a private detective, or not a private detective car, but like a detective car or um, any kind of uh, standard officer vehicle, you know, you're going to have wildly different uh, 
things going on in the interior. Uh, you're going to find a lot in a lot of them that the interiors have been stripped of some of the center console pieces. Those can be replaced in many of those vehicles, uh, but if you're not willing to spend that extra couple hundred bucks or your kid's worried about that, maybe not the best choice, but there are models out there that have been quote-unquote altered back to their standard state. Um, but generally speaking, you know, they're going to hold up pretty well. They're going to get through the snow. They're going to do more things than what a standard Taurus or Explorer is going to do. I, myself, I've looked at the Explorer several times. I, I think they're a good choice if you're looking for a cheap SUV, uh, that's big and bulky and can do a lot of stuff. So yeah, kind of an outside choice there, but the Ford Interceptors are definitely worth some level of consideration. So last up, as we close out, and what I talked about at the top of the show, uh, the idea of the four horsemen automobiles. Uh, you, you go on places like Reddit, uh, some of the other automotive forums, you're going to hear the idea of the four horsemen brought up as cars that will survive the apocalypse, that will take anything you throw at them uh, and continue to operate uh, no matter what. These are cars that are very well loved by the communities that they are in. Uh, they are cars that... If you were to purchase one, you're going to find parts for relatively easy. Uh, really generally going to be pretty decent vehicles to choose from, but they're also going to be much older cars that are going to come with those levels of compromise. So, And some of them, no airbags, uh, sometimes no ABS. Uh, they're going to be very large. They're going to be not very fuel efficient. Um, so take this with a grain of salt. So the four horsemen are generally considered to be uh, the Ford Panther platform cars, so things like the Crown Victoria, the LTD, uh, the Grand Marquis, uh, the Lincoln Town Car, the old Ford Police P71 Interceptors, uh, they're big body-on-platform V8 cars with rear-wheel drive that get maybe 20 miles per gallon at best on the highway. Uh, but the thing is, is you keep oil in them, you keep fluids in them, they will literally run forever. They have parts that do not break, and that's always a huge advantage when looking for a car for a teenager. Uh, just the same kind of thing, but from General Motors, it's the Chevrolet B-Bodies, and that can also go to our Oldsmobile, Buick, and several other brands. Uh, thinking of the Caprice in this instance, again, cars that you're regularly going to see with 200,000, 300,000 miles on them, they do not break. Uh, Parts can be easily replaced because it's the same parts that were in pickup trucks and the Camaro and so many other things. Uh, they they literally run forever. Police fleet, police fleet managers still say that the Caprice B-bodies, those ones from the early 90s, are still to this day the best police vehicles that they've ever had. Um, so they're in demand. People who like those cars buy them and they buy them for high amounts of money. I recently saw a Chevy Caprice wagon go up for sale on Bring a Trailer. Uh, it ended up selling for like almost $7,000, which is kind of crazy considering what it was. But at the same time, it was really well kept. It didn't have a ton of miles. It was really well taken care of. Like, you know, you can't go wrong in some of those instances uh, for a first car. Uh, but, you know, I had a friend who had a Buick Roadmaster as his first car. He got in a lot of trouble with that thing, so it can kind of fly both ways on some of these things. Uh, next up is a fan favorite uh, for a lot of people. It is definitely a cult vehicle for a lot of folks, and that is the Volvo 240. Uh, the 240 series dates back to the late 70s, and it was produced into the early 90s. As such, you're going to get a wild number of combinations of powertrains, build quality, uh, safety features, so much more. Uh, 
cite your local Volvo enthusiast for what works best for you on that car. Uh, it's it's a very cool car. Well kept, they're going to do great. Uh, not maintained, they're going to be a pain in the ass. Um, but it can be a very rewarding car to operate on a daily basis. And they've got style for days. So that's always a good thing too. And then last up is the Mercedes-Benz W123. Uh, basically, that is the old E-Class sedan from the late 70s on through the end of the 80s. Uh, this was a car that Mercedes apparently spent a billion dollars developing at the time, or the equivalent of a billion dollars today. Uh, these things are beloved all across the world. They are still served as taxis uh, in many parts of the third world. Uh, these cars do not quit. In particular, the diesel models do not quit. Uh, these are the ones that you often see converted to running on fry grease, things like that. Uh, these are cars that are over-engineered, designed to last a lifetime. If you take care of it, it will take care of you. Um, but it's going to cost you some money to do it. Uh, so if you've got a kid who's into doing some mechanical stuff, doing the work uh, to have a cool car, you know, something like a Mercedes W123 might do them pretty well. Uh, in the long term and you know if they can keep it in good shape it is definitely going to be a collector piece going forward uh, you don't see many that are in good shape anymore and among the automotive press a lot of people still own these things and try their best to maintain them and drive them every day uh, but they are borderline dangerously slow when it comes to outright performance uh, we're talking like 20 seconds 0 to 60 uh, which is crazy um, not exactly a, the safest vehicle in all sense of measure. This predates a lot of collision stuff, things like that. Uh, so not as safe as a Volvo 240, um, but still pretty damn cool. Now, there is a little bit of contention about whether or not there is a fifth horseman. And I would argue that there is, and that is the third generation Toyota Camry, which was produced from, what, 93 to 97? Uh, that model of the Camry uh, introduced the 5SFE 2.2 liter engine. It had a four-speed automatic. You know, driven nicely, it would get about 30 miles per gallon on the highway. Uh, just like the Mercedes, just like the Volvo, these things were engineered to last. This was the car that put Toyota on the map in the U.S. in terms of sales. It dominated for years being a number one seller here in the U.S. It put the Accord to shame at that point in time. Uh, my family owned one. It went uh, a quarter million miles before it hit a deer, and then it was kaput. Uh, you couldn't resurrect it from that. But that car kept running no matter what we did to it. As long as fluids were in it, as long as we were doing the basic maintenance that we had to do, that thing probably would have done half a million miles, and it would still be running today if it didn't hit that deer. So fifth horseman option, I think it's worth finding. Don't be scared of a 200,000-mile odometer. Uh, Well-taken-care-of models are worth the effort. Uh, skip the V6. Just do the four-cylinder. It's easy to do. They are still cool cars today and are worth a look if you've got the time and the patience. But anyway, that wraps it up. Those are some choices for the high school kids. So if you have one that you want to call out, feel free to drop me a line here on Anchor at anchor at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN or hit me up on Twitter at YSSMAN. I love doing these, so if you've got an idea of a segment that you want me to look into again, uh, let me know, and I'll hopefully hear from you soon. Otherwise, guys, uh, regular episode on Friday uh, talking about CES. So stay tuned. Hope you have a good rest of your week. 